Well, good morning, Hill Country. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Whether you're joining us at Steiner or Leander here at Lakeline or online, glad that we get to be together this morning. So a week and a half ago, Wednesday morning, I'm in the Oakland airport flying back to Austin. I fight my way through security. I get into the Pete's Coffee line to get my bacon, egg, and cheese bagel and my black coffee. And that takes a while now because when you say black coffee, they ask you, what do you want in that? And I say, I want a black. So you want room for cream? No, no, no cream, just black. It's like, no one orders it that way. I'm like, well, I go through this often now. Um, so I grab my coffee and I find the boarding area. I sit down and in front of me is a bank of windows, floor to ceiling, crystal clear day. And I can see across San Francisco Bay to the coastal mountains on the other side. And I'm like, oh, praise God, this is awesome. I get to relax got plenty of time. I'm going to enjoy this view. And about the time like that thought is fully forming in my head, up walks a gentleman who gets right in my line of sight. I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, and it's, it's as if he just walked up to the south rim of the Grand Canyon and he's like, oh, look at this. <laughs> and all of it, I'm like, I'm like, bro. And I'm like, there's enough people around that I'm doing the like, can you believe this guy motion, right? Just try to get some support for what I'm dealing with now. And then, like, this isn't you, this is me. I begin to list in my head all of this person's shortcomings. Um, <laughs> something I'm kind of good at. Um, but it gets better because, like, at the airport, you know, the chairs that are against the windows don't face outward. They face this way. So now he turns and he's facing me and he's on a phone call. Now, there are people in the world who, when they're on a phone call in public, they'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Like, and they'll try to do it. And then there's this guy, right? And so what this guy was apparently doing, he was trying to execute a hostile takeover of another company through his admin assistant, is my, the best guess I can give. And he's there like, oh, we got to maximize ROI, and we got to gain market share. And what about those capital inflows? I've never heard of capital inflows. That sounds important. Um, I've never used them in a sentence. Maybe you have. Um, but now my list is getting longer of all this guy's shortcomings. And now his face, like it was his whole body before, now it's just his face that's in my line of sight. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what I'm doing in the Oakland airport. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, this isn't, it's ruined now. Might as well get some work done. So I open my laptop. And I begin to con or continue to work on the message that you're going to hear today on. <laughs> Wait, I haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> Judging others. <laughs> hey, Eric, I've always wondered where you get your illustrations. Um, have you ever been there? Like, have you been at the light? behind the person on their phone, it turns green and they're still on their phone. Ever judge that person? Um, ever judge your coworker who conveniently arrives late, leaves early, and does mediocre substandard work? <laughs> Ever judge that person? Ever judge your classmate for what they're wearing or who they're with or what they just said or posted? Ever get other people to join you in judging that person? Ever judge your neighbor? 
look out your window and you're like, are you ever gonna put your garbage cans in or not use your lawn for auto parts? Um, ever judge your in-laws? Okay, just me. <laughs> Their decisions, what they think is right and wrong. As I started to think about it in the Oakland airport, I was like, eh, maybe I judge people more than I'm aware or like to admit. But as we get into this conversation, it immediately requires us to do something, and that's define our terms. Because judging, like when you look it up in the dictionary, has a range of meanings depending on your usage. And I want us to make sure that we differentiate what we mean by judging as we start to talk about judging other people. Um, and here's, here's my best way to kind of break them up, right? To judge the verb. And this isn't Merriam-Webster or Oxford. This is Eric's Oxford. Uh, just to the two categories to make them clear in my mind, so hopefully they'll be clear in yours. There's one sense that judging means to choose between options, prefer, make a selection, right? This includes making moral judgments, meaning we judge between right and wrong. We judge between good and bad. It's also like in a work context, you're going to judge people who are applying for a role. And in the hiring process, you judge between candidates. Who is the better candidate for this role? Or in an athletic context, if you're at tryouts, the coaches are, what are they doing? Judging athletic ability and talent. Should this person be on the team, right? Judging is a good thing if it's category one judging, but that's not the other, only category of judging there is. There's what I'm going to call category two judging. And this is me in Oakland, right? To express a personal opinion about, and usually mm, with a bit of a critical edge. Now, what we're actually doing is not so much judging as criticizing. Or, said another way, we're finding fault with. What this includes is an element of moral superiority. And what we're doing when we judge this way is, hey, um, I'm not obnoxious like you when I'm on the phone. I don't um, just walk in the way of people's line of sight. I'm uh, paying attention to those around me. I'm actually better than you. Like, category one, good to go. We all have to do it. This is life. No avoiding it. Category two, because here's, I don't know about you, but here's the culture we live in, right? <clears throat> um, not only is judging right, in a lot of cases, it's good and should be done. And what I mean by that is if you're in tribe A and you dislike the people in tribe B, you judge them and you find fault with them and you consider yourself morally superior to them. And what you do if you're asked, like, what are you doing? Are you judging them? What do you say? Yes, I am finding fault. I am morally superior. And what are the people in tribe B doing? The same thing to people in tribe A. And you know who's in between the two tribes? The moderates. You know what the moderates do? They judge the people in the tribes. Can't you people think for yourselves? You're just all in your echo chamber, like getting all riled up. And what do the people in the tribes do with the people who are the moderates? Can't you make a decision, you fence sitter? Oh, and we have this thing called cancel culture. What's cancel culture? Weaponized judging. It's judging where we say, not only am I morally superior to you, I'm going to execute you. That's cancel culture. But then there is just the interpersonal reality of as we interact with each other day to day, 
where you may be thinking, I'm making a judgment, category one, but how they take it is category two. And they tell you, you can't judge me. Why? Because I'm living my truth. And what happens is, then judging's off the table, and you can't judge at all, because then what happens is judging becomes wrong, point blank, full stop. Then what do you do? Ever hear that? You shouldn't judge. Why? Well, you shouldn't. What about category one? Well, in the midst of all of this, right, what are we supposed to do? Because category one judging exists. You have to make judgments. There are things that are right and wrong, good and bad. What do you do? Well, thankfully, this wasn't just a problem in 2023. It was a problem in the first century, too. And so Jesus, who was such a problem in the first century, that he has to address it. He addresses it in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't just 2023 where we're having a tough time judging people and not having it tear us apart. He does it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's so important. And if you've been tracking with us these many weeks as we've been working with Jesus through this, we've been walking through different sections. And if you remember, the first section was all about values, kingdom values. Like, if you're going to follow Jesus, what kind of values are you going to inhabit? And then we moved into kingdom character. If we are going to be righteous and godly people, what kind of character do you need to build? And in this last section, chapter 6, and then today we're going to start chapter 7, if you're adopting those values and you're living that character, you're going to have practices. You're going to have certain behaviors that result in that. And one of those is going to affect judging. Because it wasn't just us who had the problem. Jesus is like, I have to address this right out of the gate. And so the question is, what are you going to do? Because as we see the culture tear itself apart, throwing barbs, fault-finding, and all the rest, is there a different way? And would it not help us if we found that way? Here's the big idea that Jesus is going to unpack for us. What Jesus is going to say is, let judging lead to personal growth and humble help. And you're like, I've never heard of judging leading anywhere positive. And what Jesus is going to do in our time together is he's going to flip judging on its head. And he's going to say, you know what? It can actually be a catalyst for good. Don't believe me? Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be in verse 1. And here's the first truth that Jesus is going to lay out for us. And it's, he uses it as a bit of a warning. Um, and I'm going to put it in the first person. Here's what you need to know. My measure will measure me. My measure will measure me. So chapter 7 of Matthew, starting in verse 1. Again, Jesus is preaching his first message, and he gets to the point where he says, Judge not that you be not judged. Well, that was easy. Um, don't do it. Uh, Jesus said so. Uh, if you know the famous Bob Newhart uh, skit, stop it. Um, Jesus said, like, don't know, like, which is what many people do. They say, like, they may not know this whole book, but they know this verse, and they say, oh, no, 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 judging's bad. Judging's bad, you can't do it. And the problem is you have to read verses in context. You have to read the whole passage. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say judge not because it's mean. It doesn't say judge not because it's wrong. It doesn't say judge not 
because it's unkind. He doesn't even say judge not because it's sin. What Jesus says is judge not. And here's what's interesting. He uses a more self-focused motivation that you be not judged. When most everyone else would like to say, hey, stop judging me. Stop finding fault with me. And you're like, I'm not finding fault with you. Like what that is is wrong. Jesus is saying, hey, when you judge, make sure that you're doing category one, not category two. Because what Jesus is addressing here is category two judging, the nitpicking, the fault finding, that kind of judging. And he unpacks it with what he says next, verse two. He says, this is why. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. So what does this verse mean? Like verse two, does it mean that like when you go and judge someone, God has so orchestrated the world that he is going to work it out that somewhere down the line, someone else is going to show up in your life and judge you for that very thing. Is that what he's saying? Well, it's possible. I mean, we read in places like Hebrews 12 that God is going to discipline his kids to bring us up in maturity. It's possible. What I think is more likely, though, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been with him, you're like, yes, Sermon on the Mount, I'm in, I want the values, I want the character, these kingdom practices, I want to jump into them. Here's what you have. You have, you have two helpers. You have your own conscience and the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit is going to do is show up in the Oakland airport, <laughs> and Eric, do you ever do that? So imagine I'm sitting there and Jesus is down the row with me and I'm frustrated with this guy and I'm looking at him having his obnoxious conversation. And since Jesus is always with me, just like he's always with you, he's like, hey, Eric, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm judging that guy. He's like, ah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I'm like, why not? He's an obnoxious jerk. And then the other list of things I've thought of. And Jesus is like, yeah, maybe Maybe he's got some issues, but he's like, Eric, you ever do any of that? You ever been inconsiderate to those around you? Ever when you're on the phone, you really don't care about those who are listening in? You ever, Eric, in a position like want to try and be a big shot? You don't really care? Yeah. Huh. My measure will measure me. Um, my wife and I, Heather, we have about four kids. And they're teenagers. Well, three out of the four are teenagers. Within a year, we'll have four teenagers. Don't worry, it's going great. Um, <clears throat> except for inflation and groceries, because three of them are boys. Um, and we're doing all the stuff that you do when you have teenagers, one of which is we're doing driving lessons, and we're doing parent-taught driver lessons. And some of you more experienced parents are like, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, that's what I'm doing. And uh, there's been a couple benefits that have come to me as I've done parent-taught driver's ed. One of which is I've discovered that there's no brake on the passenger side of any of my cars. Like, I don't know if you knew this, but like you can even press on the floorboard. There's not like a secret one behind the floorboard, even if you're pressing on the floorboard. It's not there. You probably knew that. Um, the second thing is that I've been reminded of is all the things that I've stopped doing as a driver and all the things I'm telling my son and now my daughter to do. Um, come to a complete stop, 
check to make sure you know what the speed limit is on this road, uh, make sure you're at 10 and 2, use your turn signal, right? I'm remembering all these things that I do as a driver. And then, like, my son is going through this about a year ago, and he's learning all these things from me, and then I'm driving, and he's in the passenger seat, and he starts saying things like, hey, Dad, why don't you use your turn signal? Dad, why are you speeding? Just sit there. Do as I say, not as I do. Everyone knows five miles and over, you're not going to get a ticket. Everyone knows that. You don't do it because you got to get through a test and they're going to ding you for that. I don't like it when my measure measures me. But here's what Jesus is doing with that. What he's doing in verses 1 and 2 is he's putting a barrier. He's putting a speed bump. That in that natural bent that you and I all have, where it's like you see some guy in the Oakland airport, or you see someone out of the traffic light, or you see that kid in school, and you're just naturally, right? You're not, you're not like, oh, I'm totally going to judge people today, and out I go. Right? You just kind of find yourself doing it with, more, again, more regularity than we'd like to think. He says, my measure will measure me. It's just a speed break. Why? So that you and I, when we catch ourselves, when I catch myself in the Oakland airport, say, yeah, God, I do that. Please forgive me. I wish I didn't do that so easily. And that becomes the very thing that has been the catalyst for every positive change in your life. When you and I say, hey, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And you now begin to see how Jesus is going to take judging and actually turn it for good. My measure will measure me. But if you might, you might read verses one and two and like me, I'm like, if that's the standard, like, oh, I'm going to be judged? Oh, one thing I forgot to say. Um, <clears throat> the whole bit about judge not lest you not be not judged, what's, what's the premise beneath that? Meaning, what's he driving at? If I were to be judged by the same measure that I'm judging someone else, would I be able to pass? No. Look at this. This is Romans chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who does what? Judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Why would I, when I judge someone else, why would I be condemning me? Well, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, and then this parenthetical statement, what kind of man? Well, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself. Do you suppose, O man, that you will escape the judgment of God? Again, it's just a speed break. It's just a speed bump. Like as you and I go about our day-to-day and we catch ourselves like, oh, I did it. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. But like I was saying a minute ago, like if you're one of those people, it's like, man, if that's the standard, if this is the standard, you know what I'm doing? I'm not judging anybody ever. Like I'm not even touching this thing with a 10-foot pole. I'm not even getting into it. Man, I can't, I can't measure up to that. And Jesus is not so fast. Because there's a way to judge that's actually redemptive. And this is what he's going to say next. 
log first, spec second. Like if you were to say, hey, Jesus, what's the process? Or like we're talking about in our series, the kingdom practice for judging. I think what Jesus would say is log first, spec second. Look at verse 3 of uh, chapter 7. Jesus goes on, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Do do you find it easier to see issues in other people or to see issues in yourself? Do you find it easier to help someone else with their problem or easier to work on your own problems? See, what Jesus is doing is he's using this eye metaphor, this speck and log thing, in order to raise the issue that we all bump into, but it's not as uh, easy to see. And what that is, is as you go through life, different things will get lodged in your heart and in your mind and in your life. There'll be times where, you know what, my job is too important to me right now. It's messing up my family life. You know what, money's more too important to me right now. You know what, this relationship is too important to me right now. You know what, my kids' accomplishments are too important to me right now. And different things will get lodged in your heart and life, in my heart and life. And we need someone to come along and be like, hey, did you see that? You see how you're struggling with that? But the problem is, we have this log spec issue, meaning, yes, you have a log and I have a speck, meaning your issue, you got an issue. Me, eh, it's a little problem, which is the exact opposite of what happens. Again, Jesus uses this illustration very particularly. What does it feel like when you have something in your eye? Does it feel small or does it feel more log-like? Right? And you're there and you're like, oh man, this thing is killing me, right? It takes up all your attention and you're trying to get it out of there and you're doing all the thing, you're squirting water in it. And then this is, it's, Jesus is kind of being funny a little bit. It's like you would see someone, oh, you got a speck in your eye, let me help you with that. And you're like, get away from me. Why? Because our bent is like, my problem's small, your problem big. And Jesus says, no, 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 their problem's small, your problem big. It's genius. Could you imagine, could you imagine, that you went out and did your life and all you thought of was speck over there, log over here? Meaning, right, spouse. Wow, sweetheart, uh, I noticed you do X, Y, Z. You really need to stop doing X, Y, Z. Instead of doing that, you said, hmm, the fact that I'm noticing that in you must mean there's something in me. And instead of pointing it out in your spouse, you said, you know what, I'm going to use this opportunity to... I'm going to work that thing, I'm going to work on that in me. Or you have friends of yours and they're a couple and you're like, ooh, what you're doing in your marriage, not so good. Man, you have, you have a speck in there, but instead of going, hey, let me help you with that, the first thing you do is, okay, I'm noticing that thing in their marriage, what about my marriage? And that's the first thing you did. Or you see someone's parenting and you're like, ooh, I wouldn't parent that way, not a really great way to parent but you don't tell them that first. What you first do is go, oh, I notice that in them. Ooh, how's my parenting going? Or your friends, and your friends are doing this, and they're doing that, and you're like, ooh, do I do that? It's actually genius what Jesus is saying. Because now, that, that thing that we do, that judging, becomes a catalyst not to address it with them, right? Speck, 
this log. It's absolutely brilliant. And then if you take him up on his offer and you be like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my life log first, spec second. You know what you become? You become the kind of person that actually can help people with their specs. Here's what I mean. Right, if you and I are the kind of people who go, ooh, I do have an issue with that, and you genuinely work on it, you know what you'll develop? Empathy. Why? Because, man, I, I got that log out of my eye. It was hard. It was hard to work through that issue. And then when you come to other people who have that speck in their eye, that issue in their life, you have like, man, I know it's hard. You know what else you get? If you're going to be log first, you get skill. Right? You want to be a skilled person in how to, like, again, think of the illustration Jesus uses. It's around the eye. Do you want people just jamming stuff in your eye like, oh, get away from me? Gentle, careful. Don't just jam tweezers in my eye. How do you get there? Log first, spec second. And then when you work on spec work, you know, it's, it's absolutely amazing what Jesus does. You actually help yourself. How? You know that thing that happens when you learn to do something, like you learn it, and then you start to teach others how to do it, and then you really learn it? It's that kind of thing. How? Oh, I'm, I see that in you, but I'm going to work on it in me. And then I have something to offer. Then I have something to help with skill to be able to actually remove the speck. Case, uh, Case Western University, 20, uh, 2013. They did a study, and they were looking at the progress of people in recovery from addiction. And they were looking at those particularly in Alcoholics Anonymous, and they recruited 226 people who were in recovery and you know, making progress. And they followed these patients for 10 years while measuring different markers like alcohol consumption, AA meeting participation levels, self-rated thoughtfulness towards others at different points. They also measured whether or not participants check this, helped other people by either becoming a sponsor or by completing step 12 in Alcoholics Anonymous. And here's what's amazing. They found that those who attended more AA meetings, they did log work and engaged in helping other alcoholics, they removed some specs stayed sober longer, and reported higher interest in others up to 10 years later. The effect, and this is where they end, had a unique effect on the outcome, suggesting that helping has a special role in recovery and should receive more attention. Now, there's one other issue here in these verses. Look at this. Verse 3, you see the word brother. Verse 4, you see the word brother. And then verse 5, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, log first. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Did you notice that? 
See, what's interesting is Jesus is using the term brother. When he's preaching, he's preaching in the Sermon on the Mount to a Jewish audience. Matthew, in his gospel, he's preaching or he's writing to a Jewish audience. These are people in the family. These are people who, like, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. These are people who, what we would say, are in the family of God. They're in the church. This isn't judging people those outside. This is judging people inside. These are people who said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live these values. I'm going to develop this character. I'm going to develop these practices. And what Jesus says is when you're judging, remember, category one, we're not nitpicking and fault finding. Category two, this is a brother and sister conversation. So do we not judge those outside? Well, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, I wrote to you in my letter, Apostle Paul writing to this church in ancient Greece, not to associate with sexually moral people, not at all meaning the sexually moral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Those who say, no, 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 I'm in, but their life looks nothing like that. The name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And he closes with this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. What's he saying? He's saying, look, in this whole idea of judging, and again, we're not nitpicking, we're not fault-finding, we're generally trying to help, right? Log first, spec second, right? There are people outside who we, like, we have opinions about lifestyles and what's right and wrong. And what Paul's saying is like, hey, God's got that. What we need to be focused on are inside, and it's also not to be like, yes, finally, I have the spiritual gift of judging people, and I can use it now. Like, no. No. What he's saying to us is, hey, um, it's a lot better to view people, those outside the faith, those who are living their life the way they want to live it, right? They haven't agreed to like, hey, I'm going to do life Jesus' way, to say, hey, um, yeah, I have opinions about lifestyle and all the rest, but we never put primary issues secondary and secondary issues primary. What I mean is the biggest problem is always Jesus and whether or not they have faith in him. And if we go out and we say, yes, but I want to talk to you about that thing and you're doing that thing wrong, what 1 Corinthians 5 says is, hey, leave that judging to God. You guys work on you. And then it's a much better conversation to be like, yes, I have opinions on that lifestyle choice of yours, but that's secondary to Jesus. And can I have a conversation with you about him? That's what he's saying. And then we're free. I don't have to get upset all the time. You believe they're doing that. You believe they're doing that. No, that group's doing that. God's got it. What Jesus is saying is be the kind of group of people who are log first, spec second. And when I see something in you, my first response is, is there something, is the reason why I'm seeing that, is that because there's something in me? We were talking about this message on Friday, 
and Garrett, our small groups pastor, we got to this point and he was like, um, this reminds me of those people in my life who annoy me. You know, that coworker who gets under your skin or that classmate who frustrates you or that neighbor who's a bother or that small group member who ruffles your feathers. What if, and this is, this is what I ask us this week, what if that annoyance, like I catch myself, like I'm annoyed with that right now. Okay, God, what do I need to see? Would that change anything? Would that change anything? Log first, spec second. Now, it's at this point in Jesus' sermon and our time together, you're like, okay, that's good. Not very inspiring, more convicting. I don't know why I came today. (laughs) And Jesus has one more point to make. And it's one of those points where it's like, oh, oh, by the way, before you go, I've got one more thing I want to talk about on this issue. And so if you have your Bibles, look at verse 6. Because what Jesus is going to say as we think about, like, okay, like, how do we actually do this? He's going to say, be discerning as you help. Be discerning as you help. As God works in you, as you make some log progress, You have something to offer. Hey, just be discerning as you help. Look at verse 6. It says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. (laughs) Do you ever talk to your dog? And like you're like you're legit like having a conversation with your dog, and your dog does this like, huh? <laughs> like that's how I feel when I get to verse six. Anybody else? Like what in the world did he just say? Dogs, pigs, trample. What pearl? Ha. Huh? Okay. Here's my here's what I think is going on. This is Eric's interpretation. Okay. There's obviously something in verse 6 that's good or valuable or worthy, right? There's something that's holy, the word in verse 6, or something that's pearl-like, okay? Something valuable, right? And you also have it because you're not to give it or to throw it, meaning to throw something, you already have to have the thing, right? Tracking? Okay. Um, What is it? Remember, we're in a context. We're not talking about, we're talking about judging, Right? What do we have of worth and what do we have of value? Well, what I think he's getting at is like, like legitimately, like if you're a log first person, you're going to grow in your marriage, in your walk with Jesus, in your parenting, in with your friends and handling money, in your work and all the things. Like you're going to have some genuine things that would help other people, like valuable things. But there's also dogs and pigs. Who are the dogs and pigs? Is Jesus being mean? Is Jesus being unkind at this point? No, what I think is happening is he's using hyperbolic language in order to emphasize a point. And the point is this. As you go out in the world, there are different types of people. Some people who are more indifferent to what you have to say, they're like, yeah, man, I appreciate that. It's not for me. And there are people who are like, you believe in that fairy tale? Let me get this straight. You believe a guy who died on a wooden thing back 2,000 years as God? Like, you believe that? 
and they would ridicule you for it. Like, just be discerning. When you go out and help, be discerning. It's kind of like this. This is the last uh, chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22. And the context is heaven and earth are becoming one. The new Jerusalem is coming down. There are those who have turned to Jesus and they're enjoying heaven and they're in the kingdom. And then there are those outside. And outside are the dogs. Can you give me like some synonyms or like what are some? Yeah. And sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters. And then a, a bit of a definition you could say of what this group is like, yeah, it's everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There are people in the world who um, want nothing to do with God. They want nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, they would thumb their nose at him. They're like, leave me alone about it. It's kind of like, uh, if you remember from the Gospels, Jesus sends his disciples out. He says, I want you to preach the gospel in every town, but you're going to come to some towns that are not going to want to hear you. And what Jesus says is, in those towns, you walk to the edge, you get the dust off your feet as a testimony against them, and then you leave. It's that kind of group. You're not under obligation to take what God has done in you and spec work everyone. So a number of years ago, I'm in my squadron in the ready room, the common area, and one of the guys there, he's newly married, he's been married like three months or so, and he's complaining about his wife, and he's going off, oh, she does this, and oh, she does this, and I've been married for like a year and a half at this point, so I got a wealth of help <laughs> that I can offer, like I'm, like I'm so far beyond this guy, um, and as I'm listening to him complain, here, here's my short summary of what he's complaining about, I still want to live like a bachelor, she wants me to live like a married man. I think it's pretty obvious. And so I say, hey, dude, uh, you're wrong. Your wife's right. You need to not be doing the things you're doing and go home on the weekend. And he turns to me. He goes, who asked you? And part of it was because I probably said it the way I just said it. He wasn't, he wasn't open to what I had to say. He wasn't looking like, hey, Eric, I have this problem. You know, can you... No. He was venting. He was complaining. He was in no position to hear, like, oh, yeah, in a year and a half, I've learned a few things. Versus the person who pulls you aside and be like, hey, I notice, like, you and Heather, when you do that thing, like, me and my wife, we don't do that thing. We struggle. Can you help me? Ah, happy to. Why? Because I did log for a spec second. I allowed my measure to measure me. And Jesus says, as you go, as you go, just be discerning. Look for those people who want to be helped. Now, I want to close with this. Um, judging is a problem in 2023, yes? We know, because we have the Bible, it was a problem in the first century. Why is that? Because judging has always been a problem since the Garden of Eden. All right, Adam and Eve sin, Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember what happens? God comes, he's looking for them. Hey, where are you guys? Remember what Adam does first thing? He judges God. 
the woman you gave me. Bro, like I wouldn't have gone there. I would not have gone there. That's where Adam went. And now we're all in this mess, right? And as immediately as I say that, my measure will measure. Eric, what would you have done in that? Well, I probably would have said God. And then what does Adam do? She ate it and gave it to me. It's her fault. What does Eve do? Snake. It's a stupid snake. Don't even know why it's let in the garden. And if you know the joke, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. I just say that just to remind us, like, judging has been a problem since the third page of the Bible, right? The beginning. And the interesting thing about judging is there's only actually one who is the rightful judge. There's only one who can accurately judge. And if he judged you and me for our moral record, how would we do? Answer poorly but grace. Because what the gospel says is Jesus, as he hangs on the cross in your place and in my place, what is happening? He is taking the what? The judgment of God upon himself. And he is literally being judged. We've said at different points through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus isn't just preaching he is actually going to fulfill everything he says in this. So that when he goes three years later from when he preached this message and he's hanging there, and it's your sin and my sin that is upon him, and the Father's judgment rightly falls on him for that, that you and I can come to Jesus after that day and be like, can you please forgive me? And Jesus says yes. And then we can be the kind of people who have courage enough to say, my measure measures me. And we can be the kind of people who have the courage enough to say, log first and your spec second. And that's good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, that you can take all things and make them new. Like, Jesus, we can actually do judging in a way that's redemptive. Oh, Jesus, this is so hard. Would you help us? Would you help us by grace to build values and character and now practices so that we can be different and that you can do something in us and that you could do something through us and that we would all look like you as a result. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, that you did what you did for us. And thank you that one day we're going home. And we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said.